Okay, this sermon that I am about to preach just now, um, it was originally scheduled uh, to be preached on the 24th of March uh, this year. So this sermon just now was originally scheduled uh, to be preached many, many weeks ago. But there was a problem at the time. The problem was I got sick. And boy, did I get sick. I picked up a really nasty bug from one of my nasty little children, I think. And so uh, I was at that time faced with a bit of a dilemma, and maybe about the Thursday of the week, the dilemma was, should I uh, continue and try to prepare this sermon, this portion of scripture, uh, in the hope that miraculously I would make a full recovery? Should I do that? Just continue to try and prepare? Or should I pick up the phone, bite the bullet, and ask our assistant minister to heroically step into the breach? You see it? Should I continue in illness or should I phone uh, Harrison? And what I want you to appreciate is how much I stressed out about this. It might seem to you nothing, but man alive was I stressed out. I was stressed. All these things going through my head, you know, thinking like if I, if I pack this in, if I, am I letting anyone down? Am I giving Harrison too much to do? Is it too late a stage to do this? What is it going to mean for the preaching schedule of London City Presbyterian Church? And I was stressing out and I was stressing and stressing and stressing and stressing until I saw the ridiculous irony of the situation. And maybe you see the ridiculous irony, do you? There was I, two o'clock in the morning, in my bed, unable to sleep, worrying about a portion of scripture. God says to me, Andy, do not worry. And it was me, anxious beyond belief. And I hear the Lord Jesus Christ say to me, do not be anxious. What irony. Now, why do I say that to you? I, I say that not so that you can laugh at me so much, although that's fine. Uh, believe me. I say it to highlight just how like the world we have become with this topic. And maybe you see what I mean. And what does the society around you say about worry? It says it's just a part of normal life, right? Isn't that it? We're anxious and we're stressed out and our society says, well, of course you are. You know, life's hard, life's tough. And of course, like worry, for you, worry is kind of, yeah, it's part and parcel of everyday living. Worry is kind of an unavoidable thing, right? That's what the world says. But what struck you already about this reading? Come on, what, what struck you when we read this out? And surely what struck you is not only the fact that Jesus Christ says to you that worry is something you are supposed to battle against as a Christian. Not just that, but surely what struck you is that being anxious is something that the Lord Jesus prohibits. Isn't that striking? He forbids worry for the people of God. So this morning, what are we going to do? We're going to think about worry or we're going to think about anxiety, right? And we're not thinking about a medical condition, all right? We're not thinking about anxiety in that form, nor are we thinking about what are legitimate concerns. Let's say the salvation of the lost. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, do you know what we're talking about? Every day, normal worries of our heart. So that's what we're thinking about this morning. Do not be anxious. This is how we're going to roll with it. This is how we're going to tackle it. We're going to look at this section of scripture under two headings this morning. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to think about arguments against worry. So if you're taking notes, get that. 
argument against worry. So we're going to think about the reasoning why the children of God should fight against worry. Why should we do it? So arguments against worry. That's the first heading. The second heading, though, is actions against worry. So we're going to see the reasons why, but then we're going to think about, well, actually, as a Christian in 21st century in London, how do I battle against anxiety? Like, we're lots of us in here, we're worried, we're concerned. How do, as a Christian, how do I battle against it? So arguments and then actions against worry. And then everybody who's a member of London City Presbyterian Church knows what I say next. I'm going to say, have your Bible open in front of you. Right now, I normally say that to you. Today, more than ever, I am going to be pointing you to words and phrases and verses in this section of Scripture. So please, it's going to do us all the power of good if we have got Holy Scripture open in front of you. Turn in this, turn to me, it's page uh, 8, what is it? 811 uh, in your Bible, Matthew 6. Have that open in front of you as we consider arguments against worry. Okay. Now, You've noticed this, I think, already, right? In this section of Scripture, what Jesus does is he puts before you a whole host of reasons why worry is not for the children of God. You've got, in this section, extensive rationale against anxiety. So what I'm going to do in this heading is highlight four reasons why Jesus is saying that we should not be anxious, okay? Four reasons. What do you think when I say that to you? Do you think, well, that's, we're going to be here forever, you know? Four reasons under this first heading. I am going to fire through at least the first two of these reasons, okay? So four reasons why you and I should not be anxious as Christians. And the boys and girls have got blanks to fill in in their worksheet. So let's get the first of these reasons, everyone, shall we? We see here that worry is unproductive, So can I ask everyone, look at verse 27. Let's start in the middle of this section for a change. Look at verse 27. So what does Jesus say to you here? What's his first reason, if you like? He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life. So which of you, by being worried, can increase <laughs> the length of your life? You, every, we can, you can see why we don't have to spend an awful lot of time lingering on that argument, right? Why not? Because it's so beautifully simplistic. Don't you think so? Like, what's Jesus in us? He's saying, ultimately, the worry in your life, the anxiety in your life, is it doing you any good? It's not doing you any good whatsoever. In fact... What do we know? Like what has scientific advance in the few decades shown you and shown me? What's it shown us? If I had shown us that if I continue to be up at two o'clock in the morning in my bed, stressing out about preaching schedules, is it going to be good for my life? No, it's actually going to prove detrimental to my life. It's actually going to reduce the span of my life. And I wonder this. I wonder, okay, you're hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth. But I wonder, Christian friends, are you hearing out of your heart? Is God giving you ears? to? Do you hear what Christ Jesus is saying to you? See that worry you have, Christian friends, in your life. That deep concern, that anxiety. Christ Jesus, in his word today, saying to you what? That is doing you no good. That is doing you no favor at all. So that's the first reason. I told you we'd fire through it. Second one. 
Boys and girls, are you ready to get it? We see that worry is also unwise for the Christian. So with this, look to the end of the section of Scripture. Look to verse 34 with me to see Jesus' next reason why we shouldn't worry. Look at verse 34. In fact, can I just say almost like as a side note here, did you notice what Jesus did? Did you notice the inclusio? Did you notice that Jesus begins and he ends this section with the same command to emphasize the command to you? He begins and ends in the same way. And he says in both instances, he says to you, do not be anxious. So there's an inclusio to emphasize that to you. But what is his rationale here in verse 34? You'd read it with me, will you? Verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And then notice what he says, because this is critical to the, the argument. He says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, let's, what do you think he's saying there? Let's be really careful because I got this wrong for a long time. I think others have got it wrong. I do not think this. I don't think Jesus is saying this that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow because we don't know what lies ahead. Is that how you read it? I don't think that that's what Jesus... I mean, that's true. Of course, it's true. I don't think that's the argument that the Lord God is giving us there. I think it's this. Jesus is saying to us, do not, Christian friend, worry about tomorrow because your attention needs to be on today. Now, do you see the thinking there? Do you see the rationale for that argument? You know, if we as Christians are overly concerned about the future, what's going to happen? Most likely, we are going to fail to live for the Lord Jesus Christ in the here and now. Everyone get that? If we are overly concerned, it's okay to plan ahead. But if we are overly concerned for the future, we are going to fail to live for the Lord Jesus Christ in the here and now. So I'm going to say to you what I just said to you. Are you listening to God's word there? I mean, are you soaking it in? The Lord Jesus Christ saying to you, don't worry overly about the future. Why not? Why why do we not have to do that? Because God will give us the grace to deal with what lies ahead. He's going to give you the grace to deal with it. And what Christ is saying there is, no, no, you focus on now. You focus on here, today. Focus on godliness in the present for the glory of his name. So do you get the first one? Worry is productive. Worry is unwise. Let's go for a third one, shall we? Worry, praise God, is unnecessary. Worry is unnecessary. Did any of you um, study any Latin at school? Did anyone do any Latin? I'm sure there's a few people, there's a few nods of the head. A few people did Latin. Even if you did not do much Latin, I did not do much Latin in school. Um, but if, even if you didn't, perhaps you have heard of what is called an a fortiori argument. Have you heard of that? An a fortiori or a how much more argument. Taught you through it. A speaker will put forward two possibilities, okay? One more probable than the other. And the speaker, now here's the thing, the speaker will show that what can be said for the less likely scenario can be asserted with much more force about the more probable scenario. Does everyone follow that? So if something is true of what is less likely, 
then the argument goes, how much more can it be said of the more probable scenario? Okay, a fortiori argument. Now, <laughs> is that something like gobbledygook this morning? Maybe let me illustrate it very, very briefly with the boys and girls, okay? Because I want to take the kids with me on this. Okay, so kids listen up to me just now. So when I was young, when I was about some of your age, maybe about six or seven years old, my brother and myself had a master plan, okay? So what my brother and I were going to do, we were going to come up with the greatest drink, the greatest juice drink that's ever, ever been made, all right? So that was our plan. So what we would do when our friends, all of our other little friends would come round to our house, what we would do is try and mix up lots of different types of juice, all these different concoctions of juice, try to come up with the greatest juice of all time. Okay, can you imagine that? Maybe some of you have done this in the past. I'm sure the parents are really loving me just now. Um, so there are lots of cups in a row. We take the first one and put in a little bit of Coke. And then we put in a little bit of orange juice. And then maybe a bit of milk. And roll it around. And then on the next one, we put in some blackcurrant juice and some Fanta. And we do all these different concoctions trying to come up with the greatest juice. Now, I was a little bit sneaky when I was young. So this is what I try to convince my brother was a good idea. You want, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted us to try out our concoctions on the fussiest of our friends first. Every group has a fussy friend, doesn't it? It's true for the adults as well as for the, somebody who moans about food and moans about juice. Okay, now I wanted to try out the, all the juices on the fussiest friend first. Why? Does everyone see why? If the fussiest friend liked it, the least likely scenario, if he liked it, how much more likely would it be that everybody like it? If the fussy kid likes it, then how much more an A40 or I argument? Now, I know what you're thinking. You may be wondering just why we spend so much time on logic or rationale. Can I give you the answer to that? It's because right here this morning in his holy word, God uses a fortiori arguments to teach you and to teach me about that sinful anxiety and worry in our lives. He uses that rationale. Do you want to see it? Look with me to the illustrations. Look at verse 26, first of all. Have a look with me. Now, what's the first illustration? Maybe the boys and girls see it, do you? The first illustration, verse 26, Jesus speaks about birds. And what does he say? He says that birds are well-nourished and careful. You can just think about the big fat pigeons that we've got in London, the fattest pigeons in the whole of the world in London. Now, why are they like that, friends? Do they have little pigeon tractors and farms and cultivating? No, no, why are they like that? Because God cares for them. God provides for the birds. And then you follow with me to verse 28, What's the next illustration? Do you see that it's flowers and the thinking is the same? Flowers are beautiful. Absolutely piety beautiful. Did they have little flower sweatshops preparing little clothes? No, why? Because God cares for them and God provides for them. And now this morning, do you see the point? Do you feel in the way of your heart, do you feel the a fortiori argument? Look at verse 30. Hear the words of Jesus Christ. He says to you, if God clothes the grass, the lesser thing, then how much more is God not going to care for you? And if God, what's the next bit? If God cares for the pigeon, if he cares for the 
dared if he cares for that, the thing of lesser value. How much is God going to meet your need? As someone in Christ who is the apple of his eye, his very image bearer on this earth. And friend, if you can see that and feel that, the weight of that argument, then surely you recognize there that there is a cure, an antidote to anxiety before us. What should you do if two o'clock in the morning... You as a Christian cannot sleep and your heart is racing and you are sweating and you, this, the darkness of anxiety. What, what do you do? What should you do? You should recall the status you have before God. What are you in Christ Jesus? Do you know what Zechariah tells you? You in Christ Jesus are a jewel in the crown of God. You are a child of the almighty, eternal God. You are everything to God. And if you will just focus on that, surely you will see that in Christ Jesus, you genuinely have nothing to worry about. We see that worry is unnecessary. So it's unproductive, unwise, unnecessary. And the last of these arguments here, the fourth one, And I'll I'll be frank with you. I think, perhaps just personally, this is the most important. That worry, fourthly, Jesus shows us, is ungodly. Worry is ungodly. It's it's, it's actually been um, a long time, hasn't it, since we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's been a good number of weeks with illness, uh, and with Easter, and with baptisms, and so forth. It's been a while since we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. So perhaps it's good for us to recall just now for a second what this section of Matthew's Gospel is about. So if I was to put that to you, I wonder how you would answer that. What would you say Matthew's Gospel, this, sorry, the Sermon on the Mount is about? What would you say? What would you say Jesus' purpose and intention is here? the sermon. Hopefully you would say that Jesus isn't just setting out his desire that we live differently to the world. Hopefully you would realize that in the Sermon on the Mount, he's actually showing us what that looks like, how we are to live differently to the world. Yes? Yes? Is that the Sermon on the Mount? It is. With that in mind, I think what Christ says to you in verse 32 should blow your socks off. Have a look at it. Verse 32. Come on, this is the last of his reasons. It is a sobering thought. Jesus effectively says to us, don't worry, do not be consumed with anxiety. Why not? And effectively he says, because the Gentiles live like that. And do you, do you sense that? Do you hear it? Why should we not be anxious as Christians? And God here saying to us, it's anxiety that characterizes the way that pagans live. The ungodly live. Anxiety characterizes their lives. Now, what, what we're going to do with that? Well, we, don't you think we could just know how true we know that to be? Can I ask you, Christian friend, what do you see when you look at your unbelieving friends? What do you see when you look at their lives? The mums at the school gate... Your colleagues and your neighbors and your friends at university, the unbelievable. What do you see when you look at their lives? Is it not true that you see people who worry? They're worriers. And they worried about health and worried about going to the gym and worried about money and worrying about housing extensions and cars and worry, 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 worry. worry. Right? We, we can say, okay, we know that is true. That is true. 
And we could focus on that, but surely do we not need to focus on the logic here? I need to ask you this. Christian, do you see why your worry is ungodly? Like, do you see why your anxiety and undue concern, do you see why that, that is not honoring to God? Do you see why that is ungodly? When we worry, friends, we are not putting our trust in God. I mean, you can see that. Can you not see it? That's a shocking thing, but you surely see it quite clearly. God has said to you, I recognize your need. Like this morning, God sees your need. God sees it. He's also said to you, I'm going to meet your need. I'm going to be you, a heavenly father. So when we worry and we're filled with undue concern and anxiety, what are we doing? You recognize it? We are doubting him. We are doubting God's goodness. We are doubting his faithfulness. We are doubting the very word of God. And if you recognize that this morning, surely, surely you do. Surely you see how serious this matter at hand is, don't you? And you see why we need to battle as Christians against our concerns and against our anxiety. Why? Because the very glory of Almighty God is at stake. So we see arguments against worry. Okay, now, I promised you two headings. The second heading is much more brief. So secondly, it's consider the actions against worry. Because, man, let's face facts. This topic is not just a hard topic. It's so real. And I, yeah, I felt that since the 24th of March. (laughs) But it's so real, isn't it? This is not an airy-fairy subject that we're dealing with. And it's not something that just affects one or two people in this room. As a pastor of a church, I know this. I know that people in here have got big issues in their lives. And I know that some of you have had sleepless nights in the last week or two weeks, right? And I know there's people here worried about relationships that they're in, worried about um, marriages, you're worried about accommodation in London, and, and you're worried about your work, and there's so many people worried about their kids, right? Yeah, and worried about their kids' schooling, and you're worried about your health, and you're worried about and you're worried about fine finance. And so we're not dismissing this in any way. Of course, it is real to us. And so, yes, we need to work out and hear from God about the arguments against undue concern, undue anxiety. But everyone surely is asking the same question. How do I fight against this? How do I tackle undue ungodly anxiety so what i want to do and we're coming into land with us what i want to do in just a word and very briefly is suggest three ways that we fight worry three here's the first it is a practical measure see we had a a really unusually short first reading of holy scripture didn't we like maybe some of you it was so short Maybe uh, you thought that uh, Reverend Perkins had made a mistake or I had made a mistake. It was a very short reading in Philippians. There was a reason that that reading was so short. I wanted a short reading so that you might 
focus and pick up on one particular verse that was read in Philippians. And I wonder if you got it, but I am going to read it to you again. Would you please listen to this verse? This is what God's word says to you. It's Philippians uh, chapter 4 and verse 6. Listen very carefully to see what you catch. Paul says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I'll read it very quickly again. You'll get it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, what do you get? What did you pick up on there? Like, I'm hoping you all in the room got the prohibition again. What does the Holy Spirit repeat? He repeats to you, just as Jesus has done, Paul now does it, don't be anxious about anything. It's comprehensive, right? So you picked up on that. Some of you also picked up on the note of gratitude as well. Like Paul saying, like, don't be, don't be anxious. Instead, be thankful as a Christian. There's a note of gratitude. Now, this is what I want you to see. This is the stress here. It's how Paul desires to see an instinctive response from you to worry. Like the apostle wanting you to have an automatic reaction to anxiety. So what is it, what is that? Well, maybe some of you have heard of this man. His name is James Montgomery Boyce. Have some of you heard of him? James Montgomery Boyce? He was a really famous American minister. Uh, from a few years ago. And Montgomery Boyce said this, and it's quite complicated, but you're going to get it. And I'll paraphrase it. Montgomery Boyce said this. He said, worry to the Christian should be as the national anthem is to an American. He said, worry to the Christian should be as the national anthem to an American. Now we're scratching our heads thinking, what does he mean? But hang on, what happens when an American, the Americans in here could help us out with this. What happens when an American hears the national anthem? Hmm? Like we've all seen a baseball game on TV, right? Or we've all seen like a, a, a cheesy Hollywood film. What happens when the first few notes of Star Spangled Banner plays? What happens? An American usually, think about the baseball game, stands up. Right? And think about the baseball game. That the first notes are played. That's the national anthem. The American gets up off the seat, off of the baseball cap, you know, hands on heart, and maybe begin to sing. Do you see what I'm saying? There is an instinctive response. Like the first few notes of Star Spangled Banner play, lots of Americans will stand. There's almost like an innate thing. There's an immediate thing. There's an almost an automatic response. And do you get what James Montgomery Boyce is saying? I mean, do you hear the force of what Paul's saying in Philippians? That your worry, Christian friend, should act as a prompt to prayer. Do you understand that? That immediately that anxiety, there should be this instinctive, immediate response in the Christian's heart that when that worry begins to linger there, when you feel it rise, it should be this instinctive response to, to go to intercession with God. Paul saying, do not be anxious about anything, but bang, immediately take these concerns, immediately go to God in prayer. And so I'm asking you whether this, yeah, it's real for everyone in this room, but do you know in your heart of hearts, this is a message from God to you. This is a subject that is real for you today. 
If so, take that into this week ahead. And the minute, if it's two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, the minute you feel that stress building, that anxiety building, what do you do? Instinctive response. You pray. Pray in adoration. Pray in thanksgiving confession. Pray laying those concerns to God in prayer. So we see a practical measure. A second thing, though, is a priority change. How do we fight this? A priority change. Because I think rather than me jumping all over the other different parts of the Bible, I think what you and I have to acknowledge is that right in our hands, on this page in front of us, the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us the most practical advice imaginable. So look at verse 33 with me. Verse 33. So Jesus says, do not worry instead. And then what is the alternative? And he says to you, instead of that, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Instead of worrying, seek first the kingdom of righteousness. Saying to us that the cure for that anxiety of our heart is refocusing our attention on God and the extension of Christ's reign here on earth. And really, as your minister, what I would love you to notice is how entirely contrary that is to the advice you would get from this world. Because think about it with me for a second, right? Let's say this week you were meeting up with one of your unbelieving friends. And maybe you've got this in the diary already, some of you, and you're meeting with an unbelieving friend over coffee. And you say in conversation to that friend that you are worried at this moment. Your unbelieving friend says to you, how are you? And you say back to them, to be honest, there's a few things in my life that really get me down. And I'm in a pretty dark place and I am totally anxious and I'm not being able to sleep. So what do you think your unbelieving friend would say to you? What would the world say to you about that? What would be their advice? If your friends are anything like my friends, you know what they'd say? They'd say, Andy, you need a break. Is that what your friends would say to you? They would, eh? You're anxious, you're struggling, you need a rest, you need a break. You're worried, these things are weighing you down. You need to get out here. Do you know what you need? You need a holiday. You're stressful. You need to get away. You need, if you're stressed, if you're anxious, you need to lie on a beach somewhere and put your feet in the water and just chill out. Isn't that what you're, isn't that what the world would say? Now here's my point. Is that what the Lord Jesus Christ says is the antidote to worry here? Do you notice what Jesus does? Jesus doesn't say to you the cure to your anxiety is rest. Although, of course, rest is good at times. He doesn't say, and that's the cure. He says what? He says, not rest, but seek. That the actual antidote involves work. It involves activity. It involves energy. Do you hear that? That the cure to that real anxiety in our heart is not to run away. Real long-lasting cure isn't rest. Real long-lasting cure is to pursue Christ to pursue the service of his name, to pursue the service of his church. So is this dramatically for you? Like, is this really a message for you, friend, this morning? Then surely you hear that message. Fred, I would urge you to change your vision, to focus less on your concern, to focus much more on Christ, to spend much less energy on your anxiety and to focus with all that you have on seeking first your God. 
So we see a practical measure, a priority change. And then I'm closing with this, right? We're, we're closing the sermon with this. And that is a perspective adopted. And I want to close this morning in the same way that I have closed the last three sermons, I think, that I've preached in this, in this building. Exactly the same way to close. You know what that is if you've been here recently. I want to close by speaking to the two groups of people that are in this room. The sheep and the goats. To speak to those who are in Christ Jesus this morning and to those who are not in Christ Jesus. So where will we go first? Good news and bad news. Let me speak to those who are not Christians in here. It is absolutely worth you remembering to whom Jesus is speaking in this section of scripture. Now, if you've been here for the sermon series, you know the answer to that. Who is Jesus speaking to in the Sermon on the Mount? He's not speaking to the world. He is not speaking to society. He is speaking to his church. He is speaking to his followers. If you're not a Christian, do you see what that means? It means when the Lord God says, do not be anxious. He's not speaking to you. And I, 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 I'm not saying this glibly, but if you're not Christian and you're worried about the future, then quite simply your worry is well-founded. If you're a Christian in here and you're struggling with anxiety about the future, sorry, if you're not a Christian and struggling with anxiety about the future, that anxiety is well-placed. And you see why? You know why. Because outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no security for the future. Outside of Jesus Christ, you have no salvation. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you sit here and as you look ahead, you have no forgiveness and no cleansing of your sin. You have no fatherly love from God. If you are not a Christian, and I'm, I'm, I'm not thrilled and excited about saying this to you, but if you are not a Christian and you're anxious about the future, you are absolutely right to be worried. But then to the Christian, okay? Let me just end by reminding you of what is your greatest weapon against, against worry. The, the, your chief, chief bit of armory for this fight against the anxiety of your life. Because there is in the Bible another a fortiori argument, another how much more argument. And it's the greatest rationale and the greatest argument there has ever been. Maybe you know what it is. It's Romans 8. Let me read it to you. Listen to it. Christian friend, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, ready for the a fortiori argument, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Do you see the A40 Ori argument? If God has given you Christ, if God has loved you so much that he would save you at such a cost, what's the argument? How much more will he not meet your every need today, tomorrow, and into eternity? If he has given you Christ, if he has seen his own son die for you on the cross, how much more? Will God provide for you the apple of his eye? 
So how about this as an argument? How about this as an idea? How about we as a church go into the world and renew our battle against our worries? I mean, let's see it not as the world sees it. Let's recognize unconcern as sin. And let's fight against it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Oh, so that the world would see that we have a God in whom we trust. A God who is faithful to his word. That the world might see that we have a God so good that really because of the cross in Christ Jesus, we Christian friends have nothing to be truly anxious about. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we uh, pray to you and we confess our sin. There are so many difficult things that we are faced with in this life. We cannot trivialize these things. The suffering we face, the decisions we face, there are so many we ask that you would help us to deal with these well in a godly manner. Help us not to be unduly concerned, to be overly anxious about these, but instead to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. Please, I will trust in you as a God who is spectacularly good to your people. Lord God, we pray that you would help us in our incredible weakness and in our sin. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.